Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. More on Top Gear's return later as we discuss Amazon's big bet on UK streaming video. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we're back with Mr. Ian. A few a few weeks of uh, of Morris free recording, which has been a, a terrible shame. I've been I've been miserable. I've been miserable. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that, mate. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I I ha- there's been a, f- a few things that have happened, haven't there, that have prevented us from adequately podding together. Um, not the least of which you were too busy last week, and I was on my deathbed. Well, we're going to start with the nutritious news of Windows 10. Now, this <laughs> week is sort of the end of uh, the first, I think almost the first full week of us having Windows on sale. We might be just a day or so over or a day or so behind, depending on whereabouts you are in the world. I bet they haven't sold a single copy. Well, they've been very keen to give them away for free. And we wanted to give it away a lot. Yeah, give it away, give it away now. Um, listen to some Chili Peppers on their new Groove music service, I, uh, I sense. So we wanted to talk a bit about the launch of Windows 10, um, a little bit about what we think of it so far, and a few sort of nuggets of news and information about the OS that I think are interesting. And we'll, I think we'll start with um, talking about the fact that um, no one seems to have come out with a definitive reason why we have Windows 10 and not Windows 9. Um, Now, I posed a challenge to Ian uh, to find out why this was, Uh, but in the gap between asking him and recording, I looked into it (laughs) myself anyway. Um, And there are a number of reasons that people have given for why Windows... 10 is called Windows 10 and not Windows 9. I bet 9. some of them are a pack of lies. Well, the, the most common one seems to be that even if it was called Windows 9, that still wouldn't be accurate. Because if you actually count the number of Windowses that have been released since the 80s, the number is, is has been in double digits for quite a long time. Mm. Um, yeah. If you think about things like, you know, the various NT versions and XP, this Windows 8, and then there was Windows 8.1 there was, uh, you know, ME 2000, all these different editions. There are probably, there are several dozen in total. So the fact is that it wasn't, it would have been higher than 10 if they'd have gone for an accurate number for major consumer releases alone. The other fact is that a lot of the Windows versions, even up to Windows 8, were not internally at Microsoft referred to, or at least categorized as being Windows 8, because they were categorized by their NT uh, version number, which is the technology that Windows is built on. And so Windows 8 was actually NT version 6. Point, I want to say 6.4. It might be 6.3. Right, yeah, no, no. It's 6.4. Yeah. Now, so the, the big change is that, that, you know, obviously that number was lower than, 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 than 8. And the real number of consumer releases would have been higher than 10. And the other factor is they probably just wanted something that puts them on par with um, OS 10 
not wanting to be one number behind Mac because it's the kind of thing Apple would, you know, kind of take the piss out of in some advert. Um, and 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 they've also renamed the NT release number to be the same as the consumer release number. So this is NT version 10, and it hasn't matched the Windows release number since NT4, which was the fourth release. So if anything, they've gone a long... It's a long-winded way of going back to what they did in the early 90s, and um, and it kind of averages out the the lower NT release number and the higher consumer version count and settled on 10. That's that's what an hour and a half of digging this afternoon taught me anyway. I think that sounds like the most plausible explanation, really. Like, there was a lot of uh, guff written about the fact that um, they were trying to avoid uh, version number confusion. Uh, having Windows 9 would have given coders problems with where, where they'd use, uh, you know, a bit of code to differentiate a different version of Windows. But that's just simple. I'm pretty sure that almost no coders would have used that method. I mean, perhaps a very small number would. But and like you say, uh, most Windows version numbers have been completely different, you know, in terms of what they actually are. So most coders would probably stick to that, I would have thought. But who knows? Yes. So I think that if anybody, if in, if you're ever in a conversation... Dear listener, perhaps you've just taken a swig of beer, maybe a bite from a crisp. Um, maybe you've just got out of bed and your partner says, why isn't it called Windows 9 if it's an upgrade <laughs> from Windows 8? You can turn to them, put down your beer, put that crisp away, look your spouse in the eye and say, it's because the internal version was a lower number than 8 and the external release number of Windows's was higher. 10 is nicely in the middle. And that's about as good as you're going to get. Anyway, <laughs> now we've now we've sold that conundrum worthy of being at the end of countdown. Um, let's move on to the release. It seems to have gone quite well so far. Yeah. Hasn't been any major complaints. It hasn't been a it haven't been gangs of of people in the street with pitchforks and um, you know flames. It seems to have rolled out as intended. People seem to like it. It was difficult not to like it if you were already using and had got used to Windows 8. But there hasn't been any kind of new Microsoft OS uh, scale kind of backlash. And we despise this new design. We despise this. They seem to have hit a lot of nails on the head and people seem happy. I think that um, it might have been Peter Bright on Ars Technica that said this is basically the best version of Windows ever released, as long as you don't count the bugs that are currently uh, being worked on being fixed. And, and I have to say, I, I've been using Windows 8 for a while and found the jump to Windows 10 was just an absolute breath of fresh air in all the right ways. I recently replaced the SSD and RAM in my girlfriend's laptop and put her on Windows 10 instead of Windows 7. And she absolutely loves it. Seems to think that it's um, it's really great, faster, more responsive, which possibly might have something to do with the uh, RAM and SSD that I put in there. But also just seems to love the UI and the way it's laid out. So, you know, they're hard cookies to please. Um, you know, yeah. the general public and the tech journalists. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it, it is great. I mean, I, I've been using it through for a while through the beta and all of that. And it is it has been fairly painful at times. Um, I was I put myself on the fast ring so I could see changes quickly and uh, I had a lot of blue screening but then a couple of weeks ago it just didn't update and then suddenly was rock solid so hmm. at that point I was like ah they have finalized this I believe 
and it was very close to the release date, so it was always going to go that way. Um, but I've, I, I, it's been quite. Microsoft's a very different company now. Um, it's definitely been a lot more open about that. You know, the the release of Windows 10, and um, it, it seems like they have listened to all of the criticism about Windows 8. And Windows 8 was never bad. I was using it for a long time, um, and I. Um, I never had any problems with it, honestly. Um, I thought it was pretty good, and I don't. The, the start menu never bothered me, frankly. I don't spend enough time in the start menu to really spend much time thinking about it. There was a question that was asked of me, I think possibly by my brother a couple of days ago, Andy, um, and he said he. We were talking about whether Windows 10 was as significant to Microsoft and to its users as some previous releases. Uh, you know, the example being the move to XP was, for, you know, memorably game-changing as far as desktop usage goes. You know, it was an absolute yeah, well, that, that was sea change. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> and, but it was, a, you know, I think we have to be relative to um, the era. You know, it was huge then. This is a very different era of Windows now, and relatively speaking, could they be compared? And the other one is, of course, Windows 7 after Vista. Now, I think that Windows 7... By the way, I've noticed something I do. I pose a question, then immediately answer it myself. Have you, have you noticed I do that? Because I did the other day when I was editing the show on a plane. Nate, we all love you just as you are. Okay. Uh, well, yes, I'll, I have no, occasionally noticed that, but uh, it's fine. You have the answer. You know, it's it's fine. Okay. I've started, so I'll finish. Um, Windows yeah. 7 uh, did fix a lot of what was wrong with Windows Vista, but in a sense, they were quite similar uh, in, you know, visual style and, and what have you. Uh, Windows 7 wasn't really actually that much of a massive change. By the time everyone had upgraded their computers to make Vista work, which was, I mean, Vista was one of those things because of the way it moved away, it moved into having accelerated graphics, you know, for the desktop. It meant that if you didn't have an up-to-date computer, it was just atrocious. And that hasn't happened since because basically GPUs are in everything now. I mean, even if you don't have a discrete graphics card, you've probably still got a CPU that does graphics. So there's never that problem these days. But back when Vista came out, you, a lot of people probably didn't have a graphic, or, you know, a, a very sophisticated graphics card. Um, so that gave people huge amounts of problems with Vista that they, they didn't need to have uh, and people upgraded too quickly. Um, and then when 7 came out, it was basically the same thing, slightly toned down, but with a few, you know, a few extra nice bits in. I loved 7, but, I, I, you know, Vista gets a lot of hate that it doesn't really deserve. No, I think the hate was definitely justified at the beginning. And, you know, we, we, we took uh, great pleasure uh, in, a, in, a not, in an impartial way back when we worked together at uh, CNET in uh, pointing out all the many things that were wrong with Windows Vista. But realistically, by the end of its lifespan and on a fairly up-to-date machine, Vista was absolutely fine. And I agree with you that the jump into Windows 7 world um, was not, uh, you know, it was, it was a moon hop. It wasn't a planetary relocation effort. Don't know where that metaphor came from. Um, so, but I think this is, in a way, because it's a lot better than Windows 8, even at the end of Windows 8's lifespan, it brings yeah. back the much beloved start menu, but but bakes into it a lot of what was actually quite good about the Windows 8 screen, such as, you know, the live tiles, which, although I didn't personally use, I think they are still a good idea if you are, are embedded in the Microsoft world. 
Um, so I, I would, I don't know, I sort of, I'm tempted to put it on par with, with, with Windows XP, particularly when you factor in that it's being released for free. It's a service, not a product. Um, you know, think when you factor in as well, things like how it's tied up with Xbox and the gaming system, uh, Cortana, I guess is fairly interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's probably like the most that. significant since Windows XP. Good. Well, I mean, it's um, it's certainly a, a, a rapid business change for Microsoft. Hmm. Um, so it, I think in terms of significance, it will be very, very significant for them. Yeah. All right. Look, one more thing before we leave Windows 10 for the, for the time being is um, I thought we were in an interesting position to talk about how this compares with Mac OS 10 because the comparisons are inevitable for a number of reasons. But I think you may have an interesting, a more interesting view on this than I do in that you are still relatively a recent Mac convert. Um, I've been a Mac yes, user. Yes, but I still don't own one, though. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. Okay. But, you, but you're a fan of the OS. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't know. OSs these days aren't what they used to be. It used to be that, you know... I, I mean, this is probably because I've changed a lot as well. You know, it used to be that I would sit down and I would spend hours and hours and hours cu- customising my computer. Um, and now I don't do that. I can't be arsed. I haven't got the time. So now what I want to do is press the start button and type in what I want, you know, and then it comes up. And if I can do that on a Windows computer, that's fine. If I can do it on a Mac, that's also fine. Um, and uh, most of the stuff I do these days is based in the cloud anyway so Mm. the os for me has become semi-irrelevant i have started gaming again a bit on the pc um which obviously you know means that i would probably i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily i would never get a mac as a desktop that said i don't actually see the point now of lugging around pcs as laptops so i kind of feel like i might have got to the point where in my mind at least i'm a desktop pc user and i get maybe get a macbook air to lug around because they're nice and small and you know and they do everything i i would need and you know i look i i there's plenty of things i like about mac os um i love the fact they managed to get um virtual desktops working pretty flawlessly which is something that windows still hasn't managed to do because they've added it now into 10 um uh, do you, i think you mean uh, i think you mean multiple desktops i do sorry yes um well well yeah what do i mean yeah well yes which you don't mean thing. a virtual machine you mean no i don't mean a virtual i mean in multiple desktops but yeah um so but the thing is that they don't on a mul- on i've got a multi monitor setup and on that it's extremely confusing and doesn't work at all well i think if you've got a single monitor on windows it works really well but on a mac you've i've seen people use multi monitors and multi desktops with no problem and it's absolutely wonderful to watch Hmm. um so things like that i think i think that there are lots of things from that perspective where i think apple's just nailed it and again there's lots of things that i i'm not absolutely in love with but really apple's about hardware isn't it it's yeah you know i could own a mac and happily run windows 10 on it It, there's a battery issue and and that's one of the reasons i'm i would consider a mac over a pc and that i think that if you do if you run the right programs and that does require some sacrificing in uh you know you might have to use safari instead of chrome you can get such amazing battery life out of a um a mac that i I, that would be very appealing to me and i really struggle with my uh windows pcs in that regard Uh, Mm. for for a start down to unpredictability it's not so much that 
they don't last it's that sometimes they last and sometimes they don't and I don't know why um, and that's very difficult because if you're out and about on the road so many times at trade shows I've been sat next to um, you know Verity from What Hi-Fi and she's tapping away on her you know Mac happily with loads of battery left and I'm about to hurl my Dell over the crowds because it's already dead it, I don't understand it but anyway I, I can feel that that pain. I, I definitely agree that there's, I mean, it's been many years, many, many years, in fact, since I've used a Windows uh, machine as a laptop. In fact, I don't think I've had that since Windows XP, but definitely the the physical fact aspect of mobile computing, at least, is definitely more important than the desktop for, I think, most people uh, most people's computing requirements, which is why I've been an extremely happy buyer of the new 12-inch MacBook that is, you know, the fanless design. And, I, you know, I get a good between 8 and 12 hours of usage out of that, depending on what I'm doing with it. Certainly, I go the entire day in the office and don't plug it in. You know, sometimes... How do you find the uh, speed I'm, of it? Is it powerful enough for what you need? For, for what I need, it is, yes. And that's the weird yeah. thing because it is definitely not a powerful machine. But it is powerful enough for browser-based stuff. If you're doing something that is, uh, let's say, hosting a virtual machine, which is something yeah. that we that we need to do in our corporate environment. And uh, so mostly that's just a terminal window sort of thing, not OS X terminal, just a, you know, yeah. another computer screen on your screen. Um, and, you know, it runs everything fine in the background. It multitasks very, very well. So, you know, I, I've had very little issue with that at all. In fact, you know, the, the last episode people heard of text message, I edited that on that machine on a plane. I was going to ask if you'd ever edited the pod on a, on a, on yep. a MacBook. I have. Cool. I, I've done a couple of basic bits of video editing on Final Cut Pro to see if it worked, and it worked all right. You know, pretty pretty nippy, but again, that's because Final Cut is uh, is very quite an efficient video editor. And I did edit the entire podcast on a plane with no hiccups or, or problems whatsoever. Uh, and in addition, you know, was watching iPlayer and some music, and I cool. wrote a bunch of emails on the flight. So for me, it's worked out very nicely. But we're, we're digressing a bit. I wanted to sort of condense some of our conclusions because I think we agreed the rollout of Windows 10 was very good. Uh, I think we both agree that it's a very, very good OS and may indeed be the best in, in, in many years. But I think the other thing, that, that the point that you brought up, which I would definitely agree on, is that we are in an era of computing now where a good operating system is almost an invisible operating system. And OS X has, has been very good at being invisible for some time. And Windows 10 does a lot at being invisible most of the time in my, in my usage. And by the sounds of it, your usage too. It's very good out of the box and gets out of the way and it lets people use it quickly. And so I think we have to congratulate uh, Microsoft and, and say, well done. Um, you know, you've, you've impressed a couple of Mac converts. You've impressed the public and uh, you put it out for free, which is no bad thing. <laughs> Yeah, at least free for some people. Um, but let us know what you think. Podcast at natelangson.com. Very excited and interested to hear your feedback. I don't want to necessarily encourage bad feedback, but a lot of what I've read about Windows 10 has broadly been positive, both within the uh, the sphere of journalists and critics, but also from the public. And so I am curious to hear if there are anybody, if there's anybody listening who actually thinks Windows 10 is a step down. Is it, is it worse than Windows 7 or Windows 8 for, for, for your use case? Uh, and if so, why? But general comments, of course, welcome as well. Podcast at natelangson.com. 
it's time, Ian, to take it up a gear. In fact, it's time to take it to the top gear as we take a ride through the Amazon for a prime steak dinner of news. How was that? Good heavens. That was, it was impressive, actually. Yeah, it was pretty much off the top of my head as well. So, um, <laughs> you know, at least within my own body, my own mind, uh, I, I'm taking that as an even greater compliment and uh, success. Yes, Top Gear is to return. Amazon has thrown enough wads of queens at James and Jeremy and I almost said Brian May there, James May. <laughs> um, and Top Gear... And Richard Hammond. Yes, after Jeremy Clarkson hit a producer uh, and was fired and, and sort of ultimately caused the end of Top Gear in its, well, in its then current form for the BBC, um, it's been picked up by Amazon Prime. It's going to be an online-only series that starts in 2016. And well, allegedly, I have a theory. Yeah, yeah. well... Well, we'll come to your theory then in, in a second, <laughs> but it is at least officially currently set to hit digital screens in 2016, and we'll come to hypothesize about how much money Amazon threw at these guys to get it, because they were almost certainly up against the likes of Netflix and Sky. You know, you could definitely see Sky Atlantic wanting to throw a huge amount of money, and maybe even companies like HBO as well. So let's start, Ian, I'll let you speak. Um, what what is your what's your first take on Top Gear's return? And by all means, put on a tinfoil hat, which, by the way, I've read <laughs> recently may amplify any thought reading experiments going on <laughs> by the government. So it may be that amazing. They were Wouldn't shooting it be in the foot. Yeah. If if those, if all those people all these years have been putting on their tinfoil hats and actually been giving away secrets to the government, exactly, that would be devastating. So I read a story on the Financial Times that suggested that the the price was $250 million. That would secure 36 episodes over three years, which is sounds like a lot when you first say it, doesn't it? But actually, if you break it down on a sort of a, a per episode break basis, it works out at what, like $7 million a, a show or something. Um, I don't doubt that the the main people are going to be earning a, a good amount of money out of it. And um, I suspect there'll be rights involved for the resale of any, you know, so for example, Top Gear does very well on um, merchandising and uh, DVD sales. I suspect um, Amazon will probably want to do a similar thing with that. And I don't, I assume that uh, May Clarkson Hammond and uh, the producer Andy Wilman will have set up a production company, particularly for making Top Gear, um, I imagine that they will have some revenue sharing agreement with Amazon so that they can uh, continue to profit, you know, should Amazon want to sell the product, you know, in different ways. And I think that will happen later on down the line. Um, For example, Dave in the UK buys Top Gear um, and I suspect that they would be prepared to buy it off Amazon if they ever wanted to find a home for it on terrestrial TV. Um, so you know it's a it's a good move for those guys. It's the probably the right amount of money. It gives them complete creative control and freedom, allows them to go back to doing what they love. Um, but it also takes them out of the cl- sort of cleverly managed sort of BBC environment where um, you know they, at least at the BBC they were sort of watched like hawks, if you will, and um, 
that they were always very much of the opinion that you could do what you wanted as long as you apologised for it afterwards. Um, and that worked for them there uh, under the cover of the BBC. I, I wonder how much luck they're going to have with it when they're there, you know, they're doing it on their own auspices under their own production company. And Amazon just won't want to be involved in any of that, really. Um, it's, a, it's a big risk. But of course, hopefully they've learned their lesson. They want to go and make a mo- motoring show now and stop punching people and stop getting into trouble for saying silly racist things and stupid slurs that, you know, are, they have no place in, you know, a, a reasonable modern TV programme. The format that worked best for them is almost certainly the format that Amazon is expecting them to make for them. And so changing any aspect of it may not be in the interest of the show. I'm not saying that it, it that they need to continue to be uh, slurring and apologising, but that slight, <laughs> that sort of slight, unpredictable, I, I do know edginess. What you mean. Yes, uh, it, yes. it's sort of a little bit of a part it, because it's all about the characters and their personalities, and for better or for worse, Clarkson in particular has a quite specific personality. And yes, that's but he's a... also he's also smart, well, easily smart enough to say funny things that don't involve, you know. I think I don't know what their game was towards the end. I don't know whether they were bored at their in their BBC contract and wanted to get out of it anyway. But they had become they were just doing stupid things. Like it wasn't there was nothing particularly clever about some of those things they said at the end. You know, it it, it, it was sort of dismissed as a kind of like oh, it's a bit of a mistake. But, you know, I suppose it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I think they were <laughs> they can be funny and edgy without just being offensive. The two are different. And that they sort of lost that, I think. They needed a break, I think, you know, a nice bit of time to think. And I, this Maybe. has given them that. Well, obviously, we're a tech show uh, more than a uh, sort of a TV and, and culture <laughs> show. So I want to talk a little bit about the fact that this is a real win for the cable-free, broadcast-free, online-only delivery method of of mainstream television content. I mean, they're going to Amazon. I mean, we've kind of got used to seeing big, successful stuff coming out of Netflix, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, that kind of thing. They've done a, you know, Daredevil uh, with Marvel, which I've heard is a big deal. And this is the first, really, for Amazon Prime. I mean, they piloted a whole bunch of shows not too long ago, but how many of them... I can't even think of a single one. I've not even watched House of Cards, but I but I know that it's incredibly good and popular. <laughs> Amazon's got some really Amazon's got some really good stuff actually. Like there, there's some and some really critically acclaimed things as well. And they have a really nice way of doing it as well. So they their pilot run is um, a, a way for you to see one episode of everything, and then and then the ones that get voted popular will all go will, will, can go then go on to be made into full series. It's a really it's a really cool way of um, producing a series actually. And they've done the Philip K. Dick series that um, was it's based if uh, if the Nazis hadn't lost the war um, and how that impacted uh, America. So that's quite an exciting show coming up. Hmm. Um, it sounds quite a lot know, like it, the most uh, recent Wolfenstein game. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So but let's, I, I'm curious for your view, though, about whether you think this could be the catalyst for Amazon Prime being lifted to the sort of the status of Netflix, which feels to me now like a real... I mean, my mum uses it. You know, I see adverts for it everywhere. You know, Netflix doesn't feel like a webby product. It just feels it's Netflix. Like everyone knows yeah. it, uses it. I mean, Windows, Amazon Prime. Well, you've, 
I don't know. You've nailed it. You know you've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed the problem. The problem with Amazon isn't the content. And the fact that you didn't know about some of the stuff on there. And if you looked, you'd be shocked. Um, it says to me, and exactly what I've, all, I've said this to Amazon so many times, the problem is it's a confused brand with a, with a poorly worded you know it's the way it works is a, is a mess frankly uh, amazon restricts where the app can be used so for example if you've got an android phone there's no amazon um well there is now but you have to go through the amazon app so to watch video on a on a, an android phone there's no amazon prime video app as you'd expect you have to get the amazon app and then you can watch video in a stupid web browser in the app it is the worst user experience i've had in an app for a very very long time it's so they need to spin out the amazon app and the prime thing into give it its own name its own brand a standalone app and just get it on everything because that's what netflix has done it's on yeah exactly everything It, it could be called something other than prime they're obsessed with prime and i understand because it's part of a product you pay for prime and you get all these brilliant services and there are so many of them and they're all so good but I don't see why they, they don't necessarily have to be all called the same thing for that to work. You know, you could just call it Amazon Video um, and, you know, you go on and you and they go, oh, yeah, good news. It's free because you've got Prime. And you're like, well, yeah, I've got Prime. This is great. Um, the, the, as it stands at the moment, too many people are conf- too confused by it. it. The app isn't widespread enough. It's not the service isn't as is, doesn't. Netflix is everywhere. You would struggle to find a device that doesn't have Netflix on it. Um, and that was a really clever move because it means that you can watch Netflix on everything. You know, that from a, an ancient tablet to, you know, a modern laptop. It's brilliant. Mm. Well, I'm extremely pleased Top Gear's coming back. While I tend not to watch the regular episodes um, all the way through, I've never really been a massive fan of the star in the reasonably priced car aspect. Um, but I, I love the specials. Um, the specials to me are, are the reason that I wanted Top Gear to come back. Had the specials not been a part of the show when it was ended, then I don't think I would have mourned the loss of it as strongly as Do I you, did. Um, are you, what are you more excited about? The return of the Top Gear on the BBC or the one that's going to be on Amazon? Well, I think that the one is on Amazon, but that's because I'm not actually interested in cars. And I don't know if that says more about what Top Gear had become than... Well, than... no, I mean, there was no, there was no real secret about that. I mean, they, they always said it's not a car show, it's an entertainment show, and that's absolutely fine. I, I think Top um, Gear will become a car show again on the BBC, particularly now that they know that Amazon is going to be probably going for the very mainstream kind of special type stuff i'm actually thrilled that there's going to be both i think it's great i think in some ways it's quite quite nice that the bbc will get a little bit of control back of top gear and maybe we'll make it into something that's that had become quite frustrating for me um Mm. you know as someone who loves that show it it was some things about it i've become you know i really began to hate um and so i'll pose uh, the question to you then sir the the question back to you which are you most looking forward to and why um that's a really. I. I. I actually. I, I. I. don't know. I think both. Honestly, I think that's a cop the, out. Well, it is. Um. Um. I kind of more interested in the BBC one. I've got to say, hmm. it's funny because now because you forced me to think about it, and I, I will absolutely watch both. I. I completely guarantee. It. I mean, I. I love cars with all my heart. So. I will, I will be, I will be on both. I mean, I, I didn't watch Fifth Gear, but that was because I found it intolerable. Um, but again, that you know, it's been a very long time since we've had 
two car shows in the UK. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Because there's so many cars and so many people that like cars, and we've only ever had one car show really of you know that people really watched and talked about. So it'll be good to have two. Well, let us know what you think, obviously, podcast at natelangston.com. Uh, give us some thoughts, particularly on whether this would get you to care more about Amazon's Prime Instant Streaming On-Demand Video Non-Shop <laughs> So service. you don't know what it's called? You don't know what it's called, do you? No one knows what it's called. I think it's Amazon Prime Instant Video. Yeah, you think, but you don't know, do you? What's Netflix I'm- called? Netflix. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But we have the it's same ridiculous. problem with Google Play All Access, All Access Music. It's- it's called prime instant video yeah it's a prime candidate for a name change let us know what you think what would you call amazon prime instant video if you were in charge of it answers on a postcard by which i mean an email to podcast at natelangston.com Well, before we wrap up the show today, I want to get to a couple of notes that came in over the last couple of weeks onto the podcast at nelangston.com email account. Um, I also want to take this opportunity to apologize for the lack of a show last week, but I have to say my travel schedule has been ridiculous uh, recently, you know, to the extent of uh, having to edit the show on a plane the other day because I didn't have time to physically edit it. Um, anywhere either side of the Atlantic and last week after that traveling with Ian's illness we we just had to take an impromptu break so uh, my apologies for that but thank you for sticking with us and for continuing to give us five star reviews on iTunes I've noticed a few more popping up it's amazing last time I looked we were on 75 star reviews um, which warms my heart in a way that would I have been locked in the icy confines of the frozen Arctic tundra, uh, I believe my heart would be warm enough to continue pumping that all-essential dark red fluid around my body. And presumably you've now flown enough that you can actually take everyone who listens to this show on a round-the-world trip with your air miles. Yes, (laughs) that's TBC. Uh, we'll do TV that maybe scene. for show 100. I'll fly a bunch of you out <laughs> to uh, healing. Um, so, but a couple of emails that came in that I wanted to get to uh, from a week ago. Um, the first one comes from Richard, who says, something to discuss on the podcast uh, that would be great for you to investigate further uh, in the same vein as the ridiculousness that is the law on listening to music we have purchased on whatever device we choose being overturned. Uh, would be the ripoff that is the PRS for music who call up businesses like mine at least once per year to check if we have a license to listen to music. They have expanded upon this in recent years, continues Richard, and if your business has a TV set, brackets, we have one that is linked to an Apple TV for doing presentations, etc., then they think you should be paying for the right to broadcast music in your office. They are a complete joke. And from talking to a friend who has multiple albums released, they never see a penny from PRS. I made a stand recently and refused to pay as all of my staff listen to their own personal music collection, who are all nearly Apple Music converts now, on headphones, and it took a good 15 minutes of arguing with the idiotic woman on the phone that this did not constitute broadcasting music. My argument was that if indeed listening to your own music on your own headphones in a public or business space was broadcasting, then everyone who walks into a shop or airport or park would need to broadcast would need a broadcast license. Clearly, the ridiculousness was lost on her, but either way, I refused to pay and other businesses in my building are following suit. We refuse to be caught up in their music royalty scam any longer. Regards, Richard. Strong words. 
Um, Go Richard. Not yeah, something I, mean, I, I know particularly closely, but certainly PRS um, has a lot of stickers and a lot of windows. That, that those <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to have it if you have a shop or a bar or something like that. I mean, I suppose it's fair enough if you have a bar and you play music. Um, I, I've always found the office thing to be a bit objectionable, really. Um, I mean, the, the thing about, you know, say if you're listening to a radio station or something, I mean, the, the, the radio station's paying royalties to the artists for that music anyway. So why do you have to then pay again? Um, and apparently, you know, I mean, if, 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 the, if the artists don't really get the money, which doesn't surprise me, to be honest. I mean, you know, knowing how labels work, as I do, um, I'm not, not massively surprised by that. Um, it just seems like a scam, doesn't it? So I would say, yeah, avoid that one as long as you possibly can. Well, it, I'm very keen. I, this is not something I, I, I know a huge amount of, so I, I'm not going to comment particularly strongly on this, but I am going to encourage anybody listening, particularly if you work in the music industry, do you work for PRS? I'm, I'd be very keen to hear some comments anonymously, uh, if, if, if required, um, that we could share to shed some light on what PRS is doing and why rules like this exist. Um, any comments, welcome. That is podcast at natelangson.com. And finally, we have another email that came in from a regular fan and uh, I think ambassador for the Netherlands, for the show in the Netherlands, that is, uh, Luke, who says, uh, Hi, Nate, the part of the podcast about UK music laws was spot on. That's quite nice to have from uh, from Luke who doesn't live here. Uh, in the Netherlands we've got a royalty system on blank media and somehow external hard disk drives, iPods and tablets are also taxed per gigabyte of storage space he means there. The sole receiver of these royalties is the Dutch version of UK music and I have a feeling that artists themselves receive little to no cash out of their pockets. I'm wondering if the public could get a detailed overview of the financial situation of these organizations and the amount of money they paid out to the artists. Still loving mm. the podcast. Kind regards, Luke. Uh, I completely agree. I think these sorts of companies exist in every country, that certainly every country that has uh, music is a part of their uh, music distribution, is a big part of their cultural. Um, and they absolutely currency. should say where the music, where the money goes, shouldn't they? Mm. I mean, why wouldn't they? It would be interesting to know. And it, I think that. It, it's if, it, if we're paying money for something, we'd sort of like to know that it's going where it should be going, which is the artist. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I would be very keen, particularly you know the Netherlands would be great if if, if we have people in the Netherlands or wider Europe and Scandinavia. Um, but also, obviously, for for our core listener base as well, the UK, any transparency or comment that we can uh, we can pass about PRS would be uh, or, or any of these royalty collection services it'd be very interesting to have a, a, a more detailed comment on uh, these emails from richard and luke that we've had today um get yours in podcast at natelangson.com ian it has been nothing short of a great pleasure privilege and indeed an honor to be broadcasting once again uh, by uh, it, your... it's lovely to be back I, I, i've missed you greatly and um and i've missed our wonderful listeners as well and their kind kind words Yes, indeed. And those kind of words can be left on iTunes to help us in our ranking mission. Thank you again, and we'll see you all being well, I promise, in a week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.